one million miles. I think in some ways that gets at the distance we feel between this ancient story in a synagogue somewhere in Israel and this gorgeous place on Ward Parkway. If you look it up, it's actually 6,500, but that's still 12 hours by jet. And to be honest, I don't think the distance we feel is really geographical. It's not just that it was back then and back there and in a synagogue and on the Sabbath, but you heard it. It's the story of a man possessed by a demon. And instantly my mind has me back in high school circling the block lined up to see a movie called The Exorcist. And maybe you have all these Friday the 13th whatever images ever since. It just seems so far removed. Several times now, I've taken groups to Israel and will again next year. And this is one of the sites we go to because this synagogue is very well preserved. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized we're already there. Despite the distance in time and miles, we are already there because I think in some ways, this is Mark's story of what happens in religious gatherings called worship. Christian or Jewish, it doesn't matter. This is what happens. There is healing. And I think the way to get across the distance is to pay a special attention to Mark's vocabulary. A few favorite phrases, maybe even his very favorite word. I'd love to say any guesses and open it up, but unfortunately, a lot of it is hidden in the English. Not sure exactly why, but one of the words, for instance, that Mark absolutely loves, he's addicted to, is the little conjunction and. Now, it's there in English. I mean, if you read the verse, you go, well, here's an and, and here's an and. But in the Greek, he starts almost every sentence. And then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And that's when I picture the English teacher with the red pen. Circle, 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 and then a little note in the margin. Mark, you cannot start every sentence with and. You're going to have to resubmit your gospel assignment. C minus or whatever. What Mark tries to do with and is the excitement of any storyteller. You, you've done it, and then, and then it's just that excitement. But it gets worse than that. In fact, if there are any English teachers present, this is when you should take your blood pressure medicine because Mark is addicted to one adverb. You know, if you remember, writing teachers don't like the overuse of adverbs, and, and especially just one. Stephen King, the writer, famously said, the road to hell is paved with adverbs. <laughs> Turns out, the road to heaven is. For Mark, it is. The road to heaven is paved with one adverb immediately. And it's not even there in English translations. I don't know why, but three times in this passage, they go into the, into the town, and immediately they go to the synagogue, and immediately this, and immediately, and immediately fame spread throughout the region. Immediately, immediately. What gives? It's not, it's not just that there's a fast pace. It's not just that Jesus' calendar, if you could look at it, wow, that's a pretty full day you've got there. It has to do with urgency. 
It has to do with an event unfolding. In the passage before this, when he speaks to the fishermen, he says, and immediately they left their nets, and immediately they follow. And even in the story after this one, it begins with, at least in the Greek, and immediately. It's because, Mark says, when there is a religious gathering like this, something urgent is taking place, something powerful, an event is unfolding. I'm, I'm not so sure that anybody driving down Ward Parkway during this morning glances over and says, you know, I'll bet an event is unfolding there. I'll bet something urgent. I'll bet it immediately. I, I don't know that most people think of religion that way and religious gatherings. Yesterday, I drove up to Des Moines, Iowa and back to celebrate the birthday of a dear friend. And he's one of my golf buddies, and he loves to tell this story about how when we get, the two of us go out to play and we get paired up with somebody we don't know, and you know, you, you exchange names to begin the round, but golf's a slow game, and so three or four holes later, maybe five, someone says, so what do you do? And my friend, who's retired banker, says, I was in banking, I'm retired. And, and then I say, I'm a minister, and it gets really quiet. <laughs> and you can see these wheels turning, and then one or both of them will say, well, you know, I don't usually cuss like that. <laughs> and my friend loves to tell that story, but my favorite part is what I say then. I say, well, you know, my understanding of religion is that that is way too trivial. I think religion is more about the poor and justice and refugees and war-torn countries, not four-letter words. And one of them will kind of do a, hmm, and then hit the golf ball. What, what do we make of a healing story where something happens? It's not about, it's about an event. This is Mark's first healing story. We're only 21 verses in, but it is not his last. He's going to tell three more after this right on its heels. And most of those would be things like leprosy and withered hand, and we nowadays would say gallbladder and inflamed appendix. But this is demon possession. And I don't know where your mind goes with that. Most scholars, and I think they're right, would say that demon possession was their way of identifying mental illness. It was their, their only way of framing it. If you read the New Testament carefully, demons and demon possession is never about morality. It's not about like in those movies. There's no head spinning, there's no orgies, drinking cat's blood, throwing a curse on somebody's family. It's always illness and most likely mental. How many people do you know who are battling depression and have continuous or at least recurring thoughts of suicide. Or I think about the victims of human trafficking battling demons. And this week it would be really hard to ignore 170 gymnasts molested by a trusted physician. How long do you think they'll battle that demon? And then there is another group a group we don't even really think about. We thank them, but we don't think about, and that is veterans of war. Veterans of war who 
who battle all kinds of memories and demons. And yeah, we can get them tickets, really good tickets to a Royals game where we'll lift our Budweiser and say, thank you. But I don't think that cuts it. Tim O'Brien, in his account of the Vietnam War, describes an 18-year-old who says, I should be home looking for golf balls in tall grass, not wading through a rice paddy looking for body parts of a fallen comrade. The church, the history of Christianity, we don't have a really good track record in dealing with mental illness with the battling of demons. Where in a way, well, it reminds me of a story Fred Craddock used to tell, great disciples, preacher and teacher. He taught at a seminary in uh, Oklahoma for a while, and he said one day a woman came to his office and said, I I need you to come out to my car. Well, he was a little reluctant, but he went, and there slumped in the back seat was her brother. She said he had been a senior at the University of Oklahoma, He got in a car wreck and had been in a coma for eight months. And then she said, so I need you to heal him. Just heal him. And and Fred said, "I, I, I can pray for him. I can pray with you, but I, I can't heal him. And she got in the car and before she drove off, she huffed and said, then what is it you do? And Fred said he spent the rest of the day trying to forget it ever happened. And maybe in some ways that's the history of the church. We've just sort of, if we could just pretend it doesn't happen, if it's just, let's just not, let's thank the soldiers, let's don't worry about them. There are ministries, you know. I I just this week saw ones about vets adopting these dogs that help them, and music programs. But the one that I have heard so much about, I don't know a lot about it, you can Google it too, but it's called Soul Repair. Our own seminary, Bright Divinity down at TCU, started this ministry, Soul Repair. Specifically, not not exclusively, but specifically focusing in on the demons that soldiers battle. Things like ambiguity and regret and grief. And I mean, they tell stories about a soldier who sees an Arab boy with something in his hand. He's going to throw it at the convoy. Well, if it's a rock, you don't shoot a boy with a rock. But what if it's not a rock? And what if you didn't shoot? And what if it was something else? And what if... And they battle that demon for years. They, they have some great resources there for congregations and classes. And maybe, maybe some of us will find a ministry ministering to those who battle those demons. I think you'd have to be paying really close attention to catch this in the verses we read. If you did, give yourself a gold star. Here's what happens. Jesus heals the man, right? Casts out the demon. And everybody's amazed. They're amazed. But they're not amazed. They don't say they were amazed at his healing. No, Mark calls it a teaching. He heals the man and and they're amazed at his teaching. What? It's because for Mark, when Jesus speaks, something happens. It's not just words. 
Religion is words spoken that lead to deeds. You've heard me say this before. It's there on the very first page of the Bible. God says, light, you'd better put on your sunglasses. God says, rosebush, you better stand back. They're coming up. And if God ever says dinosaur, you should run. Because when God speaks, things happen. And that's what happens in this story. Jesus present speaks. Two weeks from tomorrow night, I'm going to teach a three-week class called Acts and Action. You may have seen it there in the bulletin. You, you study books of the Bible going to church, and of course, but this time we're going to study the book of Acts, but we're not going to leave it at that. We're going to take action. We're going to study wealth and poverty and food security and fear of the stranger, but we're not going to just study them. We're going to involve ourselves in ministries that actually do something. That's, that's why Mark loves, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately, because his idea of religion and gatherings like this is that something happens. That's why he likes the word. And that got me to thinking. If immediately is Mark's favorite word, what do you think God's favorite word is? 